Welcome to Beliefs of the Heart Weekly Reflection. I'm Sam Williamson, and today we're discussing inward trials. Last year was difficult for me. Nothing horrific. I lost no loved ones and I received no dreadful news, but it was inwardly difficult to navigate. During the last 11 months, I was sick multiple times. One of them kept me virtually incapacitated for August and part of September. A ransomware attack shut down my website for 10 weeks, unprecedented in today's technology. And the suffering of some close friends sapped my strength. Although my golf game is the best it's ever been, so I've got that going for me. My mood is naturally optimistic. I think the glass is three quarters full, that the sun will shine after the storm, and that the Grinch will have a change of heart. I've even believed, albeit less frequently, that the Detroit Lions might win their annual Thanksgiving football game. But this last year, everything looked dark. I had an outlook of bleakness. It wasn't despair as much as dreariness or cheerlessness, like my health would worsen and my problems would multiply. Worse yet, when I prayed, I felt God say that his hand had been involved in all my gloom. And then I stumbled across an old poem. It ends this way, with God speaking to its author. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may find your all in me. Our inner nature lies. While I'm normally and naturally optimistic, last year I foresaw more decay than healing and more failure than triumph. And then one day in prayer, I felt God say, as clear as the blue skies that haven't appeared in months, I felt God say that my positive faith for the future was a lie. When the disciples were scared to death in a great storm, Jesus asks them, Where is your faith? Luke 8.25 It's a command for self-examination. The obvious answer is that their faith was in their great seamanship. But this hurricane was bigger than their boating skills, and their misplaced faith wasn't big enough to handle the storm. Like the false faith of those disciples, I sense God say that I confused my human optimism for being a spiritual man filled with godly faith, which was a lie. My life has been relatively easy. I had great parents and siblings. I did well in school. I had a successful career in software, despite my degree in history. And I have a great wife, terrific kids with great spouses and fun grandkids. Not to mention my current pretty good golf game. My life has been mostly painless. And my faith has been based on my aptitude, skills, connections, and luck. If Jesus asked me, where is your faith? I'd have to answer, in a moment of honesty, my faith is in me. And maybe in my positive frame of mind. In the storms of my life, none of which were hurricanes, I've looked at the waves and seen them driving me in the direction I want to go. The winds were not typhoons. My seamanship hadn't been threatened, and I have forgotten to look to him. To break my schemes. 
Psalm 119.71 says, It is good for me that I suffer, that I might learn your ways. I've seen multiple verses like that, heard them preached, and read books and articles that say our lives are better with suffering. And I haven't believed them. The reality of my life today is that I'm older. Decay has already set in. I peaked physically 35 years ago. I peaked mentally 20 years ago. No matter how optimistic my nature is, nor how strong I believe, I can't run as fast as I used to, and my thinking has slowed considerably as well. If my hope is for this world alone, I am most to be pitied. If God loves me, if he really loves me, he has to break my schemes for earthly joy because all my earthly joys will fade, decay, and eventually disintegrate to dust. God is calling me to find my all in him. And in my minor suffering, he is purging me of clinging to this world. And since so much in my life is already fading, I find it easier and easier to let go of earthly self-reliance and to find more heavenly contentment. If only my golf game would suffer, I'd finally be pure as the driven snow without the slice. Sam. I wrote this article about the year 2022, last year, but I'd say the beginning of this year While all those issues are gone, I had another set of struggles where I was doing something for four months that that wasn't um, wasn't disturb. It wasn't it wasn't depressing. It wasn't even distressing. It just took a lot of energy, and it sort of I was worn out for the first four months. So I so I guess God is still teaching me some things, but I think it's reframing my understanding of that famous verse, maybe one of the famous, most famous verses in Romans 8, where it says, For those to those who love God, everything works out for the good. But I realize the good has changed in my mind as I grow grow older. When I was five, maybe the good was a lollipop. And when I was 16, the good meant having my own car. And when I was 30, the good meant maybe a raise or a promotion or, you know, some a, a peaceful night away with my wife, away from the kids. You know, th- they were better goods than a lollipop. But I left my job 15 years ago to do ministry and all the, quote, good of promotions or raises mean nothing to me now. I mean, you know, at the time I was working, I was solving problems. I was helping clients. I don't remember any of that. The good quote that I remember now, end quote, excuse me, is my relationship with my family, with my wife, with my kids, with my grandkids, with my friends. I mean, that's a much more mature, stable, spiritually healthy good, and maybe hopefully wiser. I I think when I was younger, I thought, for those who love God, everything works out for the good. I thought, Yeah, I break my leg, so I missed my job interview, so I didn't get the job. But while I was in the hospital, I met a woman. She, We got married and we're happily ever after. You know, that's sort of a, that's a kind of good. I don't think that's what the verse means. Because the good I need is very often something I don't understand in that moment. When I was a 10-year-old, the good I needed was to study well so I could have a decent job to support a family. But I didn't think of that when I was a 10-year-old. And what if my biggest problem now 
It's something I'm unaware of. It could be selfishness, self-centeredness, greed. If God is going to do something for my good, he has to change something inside. This, the inward trials, in a certain sense, I think are burning away something bad so that he, he, so my life can be richer, mainly so the life of people around me can be richer. Or if my biggest problem is hope in this world, for this world, for this world now, he has to change me because I am getting older and slower and not quite as smart and not quite as incisive. God has to change some kind of inner hope and desire and refuge. Um, I, I just believe, you know, we've heard this since we were 10 years old. And I feel like God is, I realize that God is doing it. And sometimes my greatest difficulties are God's tender, loving care. This, this is God expressing his deepest love, care, affection, and provision for me by letting me go through something that is burning away something shallow. Uh, Mary Beth, a reader, Mary Beth Wagner wrote on this article, she said, when I was a nursing student, this is her speaking, I was at the bedside of some wealthy, educated, traveled, and in one case, famous, because of her family's business, patients who were dying. She said, the words of Solomon came alive during that time for me, that it is better to go to a house of mourning than feasting. She said, I observed how these people who had been stripped of their power and abilities, and in some cases, friends and loved ones, how they were left with nothing at the end of their lives. They were empty without Jesus. She said that the Fernando Ortego song said it so eloquently. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. If we are meant to know God, then the greatest good that God is working out, everything for the good for us is, is to know Jesus more, to hear him, to talk with him, to learn to converse with him, to know him more personally. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. And we could have, I'm going to preach on Psalm 73. I think this is my favorite Psalm. You know, maybe it's 23, but I think Psalm 73 is my favorite Psalm. And it starts by the psalmist saying, I looked around at the world and everything, the wicked, the non-believers were doing great. Their their bodies were sleek. They were doing great. He said, they're always at ease, increasing in riches. And he said, when I looked at that way, I almost slept. He says, and this is where I'm starting to quote verse 14. He says, for all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And he says, and when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me too weary some. And then verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. You know, again, his solution in the midst of seeing the wicked prosper and seeing himself suffer wasn't to get earthly satisfaction. He, he, he found his satisfaction in the sanctuary of God. Then he goes on, he says, when my soul was embittered and when I was pricked in the heart, I was like a brute, ignorant, like a beast. And I think he's right. God has given us spiritual beings something deeper than the beastliness of just being part of this world, of just the flesh. Then he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And I think the counsel is the circumstances of our lives as well as his word. 
and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven? But you. This is where we're going. What do we have in heaven? But you. And there's nothing on earth that I desire. And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. This is, I believe this is what God is doing to my heart. He's actually hope, I'm, I'm hoping he's shaping me into Psalm of 73, where I'm saying there's nothing on earth I desire but you. And whom have I in heaven but you? And I, and I pray this for all of us. That God purifies our hearts so that we, we can genuinely say, who do I have in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. I, I pray this for all of us. Amen. This is Sam. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our website, beliefsoftheheart.com for more articles, books, videos, podcasts, and courses, all designed to foster intimate theology, deepening a real relationship with the real God who is there. See you next week.